welcome back. I'm happy to see all of you have come back and are happily listening to us in another episode of COVID College. I'm Jack Povolaitis. And I'm Sean Lonergan. Uh, and today's episode, we bring you a special, not sponsored by anybody, uh, not a car company or an online class forum, uh, but today we're talking about online classes. Um, and this is a really interesting topic. I think, uh, I think we're both really excited for this. I, I, we were planning this and Sean, I could tell that you were, uh, we were both chomping at the bit to get talking about this one. Oh, there's so much to talk about here. We've got a lot of good content for you on this, uh, two-parter. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun time. And so we, we figured we'd start out this conversation with kind of the origin of it all. And so we wanted to take a look at, at how things began. Um, it was a, it was a weird time for us only a month and a half ago, Sean. And uh, I'd say it happened really fast for me. Did it happen fast for you? Oh, well, it accelerated as it got closer. Um, <laughs> I think we can both attest to the experience of your school telling you one thing and then getting a completely different response the next day. I mean, anything from a week or two, you know, we have an extended spring break and then we might have online classes for a certain period of time to we have them indefinitely. Quite the transition that we've undergone here. So, and with that transition, with that drastic transition, it comes a lot of changes, especially with the type of medium we use for for both classroom learning and everything in between. And out of this multitude of choices, everything from Google, Google Hangout to Panopto to the, uh, I'd say, king or queen of them all, <laughs> Zoom. The, hence, the king, the, the, the royalty of the platform. The royalty of the it. platform, indeed. Uh, although it is far from perfect, it has definitely emerged as the preeminent medium for virtual classroom uh, teaching and learning. So much of what we will be discussing in today's episode will focus on our experiences with Zoom and how it has, it brings a lot of really cool features to the table. I mean, we have the, we have the breakout rooms, um, we have the all important emojis, the clap emojis, the raise hand emojis, um, and everything in between. But at the same time, it's, it's far from perfect. And we've encountered quite a few things when it comes to the various Zoom personalities that you come across, and uh, a number of uh, various a number of encounters that we've had in our experiences these last couple months attending class through Zoom. So it it feels like it's been it's been a full college education packed into a month and a half, all indeed. virtually on your screen. So indeed. it's a it's a it's a definitely a different experience than in person. And so that's one thing we were looking at talking about was, was why Zoom? And, and Sean, you highlighted some of those things really well where you can, you can break out into rooms. I don't know if professors, when, when thinking about why they like Zoom, they thought about this feature, but you can always change your background. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you can personalize your experience. And above everything else, it's been pretty, pretty reliable, at least in my experiences. But not perfect. And I know that I've definitely had professors, I've had not as many professors, but more students uh, just spontaneously drop out of the classroom and then they can't get back in. And that's never happened in person. I've never had a, a fellow classmate leave class and then just not be able to get back in the room. Right. No, no, uh, no malfunctioning in real life. Not that I know of, not yet until uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll be there the next uh, 10 years or so. But for the time being, yeah, this is the way we experience things with online education. And who who knows, Elon Musk's kid with a name like that, maybe he's just going to glitch through the door and can't get back in the room. 
who knows? I mean, you know, Elon is on the next wave and uh, we're just not there yet. But that's an issue for another day. Um, (laughs) All I know is he's he's operating on uh, on a level, you know, dozens of levels above us. So I'm not one to judge. At least several hundreds of levels above us. I'd, I'd say so. Yeah. So when uh when looking at just this zoom etiquette which is really what we've decided to to call that we kind of thought we'd uh we'd lay out for all you students a zoom etiquette a short list of do's and do nots of how to thrive and survive in the online classroom environment and so the first one that we thought we'd talk about today was timeliness or the lack of timeliness and i think personally i know i know uh Sean definitely has thoughts on this too, but personally for me, I usually would show would show up to class in person right around on time. But there's I don't see anything wrong with being a couple minutes late with online classes. It just does timeliness doesn't really hold the same weight now. Yeah, we're on internet time now, which is a little bit different than what we're used to. At least in my own experience, I've had uh, a number of instances where people know that the professor is not going to you know realize an extra person or two kind of sneaking in. Um, you know, two to five minutes late in a given any given class. Um, they're because they're just a bubble, right? Whereas it's very much evident when you see someone walk into the front of the class and they get mean mugged by the prof. So yeah, there's um, there's no way to sneak past a professor in real life. You can't army crawl into your seat in the back and get away with it. Right, right. but you can definitely be uh, a lot more discreet and incognito, if you will, in the Zoom format. So I think that's something that students have taken full advantage of for that matter and along with that we have our waiting rooms right you know you have the the all the all-powerful host of zoom and that that 15 to 20 seconds that you're waiting for your professor to notice that you sent a request to get into the meeting i don't know if you uh you've encountered some uh heightened anxiety as a result of that but i know i have absolutely i'd I'd say it's a it's worse than a waiting room in real life. I sit there and it's usually, you know, nine, 10 in the morning and I've just gotten out of bed, walked across the hall, sat down in front of my computer wearing nothing but pajama pants and a sweatshirt. And I sit there and I wait for that light to come on and I'm, I'm just dead in Showtime. the face, dead in the body, showtime. And then it clicks on and, you know, I'm a Hollywood actor. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm a, a smiling expression. I'm, I'm there for it to learn. But uh, yeah, it's definitely the waiting rooms. I think I think the key thing that we're trying to say with these two here is if you're more than three minutes late, you're uh, you, you might want to focus on getting a little bit more in time. But for those people that show up to their waiting rooms 10 minutes ahead of time, we don't really know what you're doing. Yeah, they're, they're a little early. What a waste for that. Matter. I mean, <laughs> like I understand the uh in person, right? You're you're showing up. You want to talk to your prof, get a little bit of insight on what the prof has to say on any given lesson. But oh my god, I I don't know about you, Jack, but I I feel incredibly awkward sitting there with you know four four to four five ten sometimes of my uh, my fellow peers just not knowing what to say. Some people don't mute themselves either, and sometimes they're eating and. That's, and that's another issue we'll talk about a little bit later in the episode, the uh, to mute or not to mute, and when is that uh, <laughs> appropriate. But regardless, when I when I am in, in Zoom mode, I am getting there on the dot, uh, not a minute before, not a minute after. I think that's the all-important aspect of, uh, of Zoom classes. you got to get there on time. Otherwise, you face the awkwardness of sitting in class with people you 
you know, you've, you've tried to avoid in the in-person setting and then, but at the same time, you don't want to get that minute, that minute or two after, cause you know, you don't want to embarrass then, yourself. Then you're, then you're missing content. You're, it's a little embarrassing, but yeah, you definitely, you got to really love social interactions to show up early yeah. because, uh, there's not much to talk about anymore. You know, your professor asks, what's different with you? Well, I changed my t-shirt today, so it's a win on the day for me. In fact, in, in fact, in one of my classes, we have those check-ins. And, you know, it was it was interesting at first when people were kind of settling in and, you know, there were a few uh, few stories of people figuring things out. And, you know, that was all all in the well. But after after that first week, you know, he continued it and said, oh, what's what's new with people? And there isn't much to say at this point, right? You're not doing, you're not doing anything. You're, you're commuting six feet to your desk, as you said, um, to go to class. There isn't, there isn't much to be said. So definitely, definitely a different dynamic when it comes to, you know, how classes are started and not much to be said beyond the class, class material. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. And so that brings us next to that, uh, that classic Shakespearean quote that you, you told us, uh, to mute or not to mute, which I think is exactly how Hamlet said it. That's how I remember it. Handy. Yeah. (laughs) The handy microphone on the computer and whether or not, uh, you should exist in a world of mute or let every all the all of your classmates hear everything that goes on in your world. Uh, my personal preference is to mute unless I have something valuable to say. I, I just think that works better because if you think about it, like when you're in a classroom, you're all in the same environment. And so there's no different set of noises or environments or factors coming into play of what you might hear or see. But when you're at home, some people have three younger siblings other people have grandparents other people have you know gerbils hamsters dogs where if you're not on mute you got so much background noise nobody knows what's going on and so i definitely think that uh my advice for if you wanted to pass this zoom etiquette class is just just mute your microphone you know you're not special you just turn it off until you want to talk yes that's that's one of my big pet peeves is you have one of two extremes right and it's really about choosing the lesser of two evils here and i think you laid it out really well jack you have the um the uh, rogue microphone and video screen off and then you have the person who never mutes and is always unaware of the fact that they're unmuted and they always happen to be the loudest person that has to be an inherent quality of that person is it not to have no you know situation aware awareness of the noise that they make i'm beginning to think it's purposeful i think (laughs) i think there is um some there is some ulterior motive that this person has that they want they want the class to hear what's going on with their life maybe they're trying to expose something about things going on in their household i don't know the the non-muters are pushing an agenda that's that's what i'm saying (laughs) and i think that it's our job as the silent majority as it's said, to uh, to shut them up because I'm trying to listen to my professor talk. I don't want to hear your dogs bark and that birthday line of cars drive by honking. Like it does, yes. it doesn't matter to me. Right. But yeah, definitely, I love the those two edges of spectrums as you painted it. The rogue, no microphone, no picture. The FBI top ten most wanted people that don't want to let you. Know we don't know where they, they are. They sound like it. yeah. <laughs> they could be in. They could be in in a whole nother zip code. I mean, they could go go to the store. I mean, there's no way of knowing. I mean that. I mean, I get it when it's uh, when it's larger, larger classes, maybe like lecture style. Style like I get nobody wants to see like 50 different faces. It's kind of overwhelming. When you got a class of like 20, 30 people, like just turn on your 
turn on your video if you have the capacity to do so, right? That's just yeah, me, though. Yeah. I think the big debate is, I think the big debate is the uh, over under on the microphone because we do have those small group discussions, right? So what what are you setting as your over under for for when it uh, it's appropriate to have the mic on? Yeah, I would say I think there's really only maybe two or three times it's appropriate. And I think you you brought up perfectly the only time that I leave mine on, which is those small group discussions, which is a whole subset of dynamics in itself that you need to pass. You know, you need your microphone on, maybe you need your camera on, but it's appreciated. And you, if you don't talk in that five minutes that we break out in a group of three or four, you're just adding to this overwhelming feeling of uncomfortableness in this, you know. <laughs> it, it's more uncomfortable than if you didn't talk in person. And right. it's just... a uh, like we're all being sent here, whether or not you've done the reading, listen to what somebody else said and just re- reiterate the same thing, just so you get that participation and you ease, you know, myself, everybody else in the group. But yeah, definitely when you come into small groups, it's the time to unmute. Um, I don't know how, I, I don't know how you feel, but that's definitely my preference on that. I always have the, uh, the fear of having to engage in small talk in those group discussions. <laughs> it's always that pressure to, to say, oh guys, how about these you know, how about these, how about these readings of which three of the four people didn't read that kind of thing? <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, like you said, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother dynamic. And, um, and the other thing that they do is the professors sets the time limit. So mm-hmm. if you're, if you're not at the exact seven minutes or whatever they give you to talk, you're either sitting there looking at each other, going back to our whole other original issue of, you're waiting before class to start and nothing's going on. You're just staring at people in the, in the, in your small group or you head back to the professor. You leave the, you leave this, the breakout discussion, you come back and there's nobody back from the discussion and you just look, you look terrible in front of your professor who knows like you either ran out of things to say or you're just lazy, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or you just wanted to get the hell out of that small group, which uh, right. I've been a part of both ends and I'd have to say there's that, there's a different type of anxiety when that little little uh, tab comes up on the screen that says you'll automatically return in, in one minute. And there's that countdown where I've never gotten past 50 seconds before you automatically return. Even if I'm in the middle of making a point, I'll just stop and go, all right, let's go back. Because nothing I have to say is worth the value of getting out of that awkward situation. You know, there's no th- right. nothing anybody could say that's more important than getting away from that. I'd have to agree with that. Yeah. But when you when you get uh, when you get out of those small groups, the next big thing is, you know, you reconvene, the prof is asking, right, what what you guys talked about. And that brings up a whole nother issue of to raise your hand or not to raise your hand. Um, you know, obviously in a physical setting, proper classroom etiquette, if you will, is you know, the traditional raising of the hand, right? But when we're in the Zoom setting, that those uh, rules don't seem to apply. Do, do you find that being the case in your experience, Jake? Definitely. I'd say uh, there's there's three different ways you can do it. Well, there's actually four different types of people, but there's three different ways to uh, get your opinion heard. The, uh, the first is the person who just somehow still tries to avoid the professor's eye contact, even though there's no way to make eye contact over a computer, and they definitely try to not get called on. And then there's the there's the three types of people that engage. There's the no raise the hand, no sign of getting attention on the screen, and they just go in and talk, which those people, that's a confidence, right? I'm ready. I'm here to talk. And then there's the people that make a, make a ruckus on their screen. They wave their arms. They stick their hand up. They try to get their attention. And then there's the classic click the button, raise your hand, which 
I've never had that section of bold. Zoom up on my computer, which is bold. It's a it's a very it's a very uh, anal. I'm gonna follow the rules. I'm gonna raise my hand, which is just uh, I respect right. the ability to respect the rules, which is not something I do. Yeah, I agree. There's there's many ways to go about it, and all too often you'll encounter an instance where you have three or four different people trying to answer at once after a five to ten second awkward <laughs> silence that ensues from the professor's ice breaking question, right? So <laughs> and then, you know, people are just, you know, they they concede and they're like, Oh, I guess I'll answer. I, and you get two other people saying the exact same thing and then you, <laughs> you encounter this uh, entanglement of niceties to you know, to let the other person go first, which which proceeds to take another twenty to thirty seconds and then you finally get to someone actually talking. So another another incident or instance I should say of of how Zoom etiquette differs from how uh, we're approaching classroom behavior in a, in a on-campus setting. Really, when you get down to brass tacks of it, it is quite a bit different. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd have to I'd have to agree with that. And we've got some more things on the list here, but we're going to take a break about halfway through this list, and then we're going to come back to you in just a sec. Okay, and we're back back with you, and we're going to finish the, the rest of this list here. And one thing that I've had some interesting encounters with is the, uh, the question of where do I, how close, how far is the camera away from me? You know, where should I be sitting? Should I be laying down? Uh, and so, Sean, I was wondering if you had any sort of like experiences or, or uh, any advice on where, how far away do I sit from the camera? You know, should I be laying down, sitting up on my bed in a chair? <laughs> well, I think similar to your varieties of people who respond to questions with a hand raise or not a hand raise or an abrupt answer or a way too polite answer, you have an equal variety of body positions. I'd say probably more. I think the most common is you, you have your traditional, usually shoulder up, you have your profile, which I think is, is standard in Zoom, the Zoom etiquette world. Um, I think there is a, there is a whole other debate to be had, though, Jack, of where that you know cutoff point lies in that realm, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would agree. I think that you know there's that shoulder, maybe mid chest, but it, I think it really it depends. Uh, I think it partly depends on what room you're in. If you're in a bedroom versus like a living room, it depends. But if you start to get to the point where like you get halfway down your chest, like if I can almost see your belly button, you're too far which is how it should be with like shirts or, you know, like if you're going same etiquette for what you'd wear in class, if you can see any of your chest or anything like that, or like below, you know, let's just keep it profile and above. Just like imagine it's a Facebook profile picture, you know, right, right around that area. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's the internal debate we have with that, you know, sort of standard uh, position alone. But if you go beyond that, we got a whole nother world of how people are setting up their, their little zoom classrooms at home. For one, there's the there's the spaceman and woman one where you have them, you know, pe- peering in from what appears to be um, about approximately a hundred feet away. That's that's another one. That one I don't really understand. Just just bring yourself closer to the computer so you, people can hear you and see you. There's the commuter. We've got someone who's always going, you know, to the snack pantry <laughs> or has something better to do than class, of which I don't really see what else you have going on at eleven o'clock on a Wednesday. Coincidentally, those are the people that also tend to not be muted. So I get to hear them rifling through the pantry. Yeah, and I think that that feeds into the microphone issue as well. You have the parental and uh, sibling intruders who are coming into the room or 
are just happen to be in the background throughout the duration of the class. That's a whole nother issue too. I think when it comes to that, where do, where do we draw the line? Like what's the, what's the degree of activity that we tolerate before we have somebody say, okay, get them out of there or go to a different room. Is that, or is that within, is that within um, the purview of, of the class or do we just have to deal with it? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's an interesting question. I'd say, I think there's has to be some amount of that to there has to be some leeway because depending on the way your house is set up or the way your apartment is set up or wherever you are able to, wherever you're staying, that you might just not be able to avoid that. And so I think that there needs to be some leeway to say, well, if that happens, it's okay. But definitely, you know, if you're commuting throughout the house, going up and down stairs or walking into different rooms just because, then I think that, that there is definitely a line that needs to be drawn there. I would say that to some degree, we there should be an expectation that you've you've thought ahead enough to say for the next fifty minutes to you know ninety minutes, I'm not going to have to move and no one's going to interrupt me. Which is sort of I think the same mindset you go when you get into the classroom. I think much like uh, we're having Supreme Court trials remotely, I think we should we should bring these issues to trial during class as well. <laughs> I think that that's exactly that's most definitely a appropriate and time effective way to handle these kind of things. <laughs> exactly and actually completely off topic but i i watched i think it was a stephen colbert youtube video where he played a clip of one of the supreme court arguments over the phone and one of the judges forgot to mute their uh their phone and they went to the bathroom and so you heard a flush over the like 15 person phone call that was going on maybe that maybe the judges need to be listening to the zoom etiquette piece on, on what they're the do's and don'ts because i guarantee you that going to the bathroom and flushing is a fail over zoom etiquette this is why we do these things jack this is serving an educational purpose this is why we are here <laughs> if you did not know this class this this two-part podcast is actually a two-credit course at your university or college um so speak to your advisor because you can't get credit for this indeed um and I would say the last big thing on one of the last big things on our list is something that Sean brought up very early in the podcast, but we definitely want to come back and talk about further is eating on zoom. Personally, I don't like to uh, watch people eat or see myself eating, but Sean, I was wondering what you think is like if a professor has a rule, no eating in class or, or even just in general, like what are the rules and what are the lines drawn for eating on zoom? Yeah, that's another question that raises the uh, issue over alignment between in-class etiquette and Zoom etiquette. Like, it's one of those things where it's, you know, my house, my rules, I do what I want versus respecting your professor's authority. And at least in my own experience, I, I think as long as you have the mic off and you're eating off camera and you're, or at least trying your best to be discreet about it, I think it's okay. It's just, there's been more incidents that it, than I'm comfortable with where people are keeping the mic on and eating while in the middle of class and we're talking about something serious. I, I think we've been saying with other uh, other issues regarding zoo etiquette, that's where I draw the line. It, it's just, I think it's it's a judgment call, really. If you're eating chips, if you're eating like, like Lay's potato chips and like you're opening the bag and, you know, you're manjing on them, just make sure your mic's off. But if you're eating something yeah. like ribs, like hold off on the ribs, please. <laughs> they will be there after. <laughs> right. Just please wait like the extra half an hour so we all don't have to witness that that horror. I know I know Jack in your own experience you've had um you've had some experiences with food as well that have come into play here. Oh yeah, it, it definitely. I think the one that sticks in my mind the most is it's an afternoon class. 
it's usually it's like a debate style where the professor does a lot of the talking and so a lot of us sit there and we just you know we listen and we chime in when we want to and so i'm sitting there in class and all of a sudden i look at the the list of zoom pictures of all my classmates and i see one of my fellow classmates and he's laying sideways in the princess leia in front of jabba the hut that sort of form we got to add that to the arsenal yes body positions oh absolutely yeah the princess leia we call Jabba it the Hutt, in the business yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh he had a bowl of i believe it had to have been some sort of stir fry at least ramen noodles and was uh slurping them and coincidentally the microphone was also on and so you can imagine me it's 1 30 on a wednesday in the middle of april and i don't want to be in class and i get to hear and see uh one of my classmates slurping ramen laying on his side I would say that's definitely the extreme end of the spectrum of don't do this in class. Right. You know, right. For sure. I agree. And in a similar vein, we, we have to draw the distinction between whether pets are appropriate here. Now, my, my general uh, criteria that I use is if they're cute and they're not too distracting, it's fine. But I don't know. I feel, I feel like if you, have, if you have a dog that's particularly rambunctious and is constantly knocking your screen over, I think that's when you get them out of the room. Yeah, definitely. If you have to move the camera to see the pet, it might be too big of a pet. Perhaps. When I was in class in person, I didn't have a dog stomping around slobbering on my paper when I was writing notes. And so I'd say, try your best to not have a dog knocking your screen over, trying to get pet distracting you. Because at the end of the day, if it's distracting you, it's probably going to distract other students. And so definitely... Especially if it's in the background, because the second I see a dog or a cat in the background of my professor's screen or the classmates, I'm more focused on that than the learning. Right. I'd have to agree there. And But what comes, what comes around to that is the virtual background effect on Zoom, where should we be doing that? Should we not? What's an acceptable virtual background? I was wondering what you thought about that. This is something where I, uh, I take a stand. I put my foot down. I say in a classroom setting, I think unless you're in a, an environment where... You really don't want to show off your digs. I think in a formal environment where you're in class, I think that only can serve as a distraction. Now, if we're talking Zoom happy hour, that's a whole other issue. The more, more the barrier there. But I have a hard line stance of avoid the backgrounds unless they're very basic and you're trying to maintain some sort of confidentiality. I don't know how you feel about that topic, though, Jack. I would have to say it's probably similar for me. Most of my experience with the backgrounds is actually with my professors. They're usually typically the ones that use virtual backgrounds. I definitely say, though, if you feel uncomfortable or that you're in a situation where you don't want to show your background, I don't think any student's going to hold that against you. But if you're doing the album cover of Sicko Mode, I think that that might be not necessarily the uh, most appropriate background where that might detract a little bit from the, the classroom dynamic a little bit. And what comes in with that is just that, you know, I feel like some students might say, yeah, but it's fun, but you need to think about what's your intention of being there. Your intention is to engage in class. And so you might just be distracting people. Right. And the last thing that we have on our list of discussion points for Zoom etiquette is the all-important screen sharing and the many difficulties that may arise there. Now, it seems like half the time when I have a professor screen sharing, they happen to have there are 15 most confidential tabs pulled up all at once. <laughs> I don't know if you've had a similar experience, Jack, but it almost seems like they're trying for to reveal their deepest, darkest, darkest secrets to 25 people online. 
It feels as though sometimes it might be a subtle way of a cry for not necessarily help or attention, but just to say, just so you know, I am interested in this. Like a professor saying, I do look at pictures of people's feet in cottage cheese. Like, it's not necessarily anything incriminating, but it's definitely something that I wouldn't want somebody to see on my computer. Absolutely um, not. And yeah, the, the, the thing about that that's so funny, and I know that we've talked about this, is just that it gives you a preview of what your sharing screen is going to look like. And so you've got like you're going to know, oh, okay, all these pictures, all these tabs are going to be shown to my students and they're going to look at everything because they're going to be paying attention to everything but the thing I'm showing them. Right. And there's no excuses there. You you have the preview. Zoom is providing it. One of the many things that Zoom does well is they're they're being transparent. At the same time Zoom does a lot of things well, it's it's good to have this sort of technology available at our fingertips. You know, as we hinted at earlier in our introduction, there's a couple of things that's not so good at. Um, I think the thing that has come to mind or has been most prevalent, I think, in the public eye has been the phenomena of Zoom bombing, which that that's something that has been anything from, I think it was, a, there was like a Hitler meme bombardment on a Holocaust memorial service on Zoom to just harmless things like crashing a five-year-old's birthday party. What's your view on that, Jack? How do you think Zoom's been responding to that, and how has that affected you at all in your own uh, classroom experiences? Yeah, it definitely, I think it's an interesting sort of phenomenon to talk about, because it personally, and not in any of my classes, it affected me, but another Oberlin class was Zoom-bombed earlier on in the semester, and so it became a school policy to institute waiting rooms. It's this sort of like, it's another further reach of this idea of, people being able to do things that they wouldn't necessarily have the gusto to do in person, but because of this medium of the internet that they can get away with it, whether it's like incendiary comments on an Instagram post or jumping into a Zoom session and saying hurtful or terrible things or just causing havoc in general. Most people I think that would do that wouldn't have what it takes to do that in person. I think it's uh, it's really unfortunate. Right. What do you think about it? I think it's something that is inevitable when it comes to this kind of technology. It's going to be there. There's going to be people who want to take advantage of it. I think Zoom's been doing an okay job of addressing it. I think it has a long way to go. And I think at the end of the day, it's far from perfect, even as it serves as a communication medium in in place of in-person classes. I think the other issue that's a little less serious is when you're having these discussions, like you don't know who's looking at who. And it becomes it becomes a, an issue that compounds on itself. And I think at the end of the day, all these great things that Zoom has, it's just it, it discomforts me to know that there's there could be somebody who's who has my window pulled up in their mainframe, just staring at me the whole class. And that's the thing is in person, if somebody stared at you through the whole class and never looked at the professor or anybody else, I think you'd be able to, you know, you'd be able to tell. That's something that I don't know if Zoom plans on fixing or that they haven't fixed to this point. I would say overall that there's an, an increased level of uncomfortableness and uneasiness in a Zoom classroom. I'm much less at ease. Agreed. Agreed. And so that finally brings us to the recurring segment on the show. God, what an idiot. And that is the Trump quotes of the week. The... Dear, amazing, great leader in the White House has blessed us with some just just, just amazing things that he said this week. And you might not believe it, but uh, 
We're not really sure if all of them are true, or all of them are really worth saying, even. Speculative. <laughs> uh, Sean, you want to go first? I, Sean Sean has a, an absolutely amazing quote this week to, to show you guys. This is something that I think you can apply to every facet of life, and I, I want to thank Mr. Donald J. Trump himself for bestowing upon us this great little nugget of knowledge. This was at a uh, Lincoln town hall a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm just going to go out and say it. I think I think the wisdom lies in the quote. We're all playing a very complicated game of chess or poker. Name whatever you want to name, but it's not checkers. That I can tell you. We have a very complicated game going. And that, of course, was in reference to the COVID-19 response effort. Like I said, Jack, Trump's playing chess or poker while we, we, we can't be playing checkers here. And Trump's on a whole nother level when it comes to that. And I mean, it's just, it's so obvious through all of his actions that he's clearly playing a game as complicated or chess or poker. And I would say, in my personal experiences watching him talk and act, he definitely understands how to play those games. And he's probably very good at them. Right. There's no way in chess he calls the knight the horsey thing. I highly doubt that no that way. happens. No way. I doubt that too. And I, I know for a fact he's always thinking two or three moves ahead. Oh, absolutely. And if anything, he's also contemplating three moves back and still can't figure out what happened. He thinks that much. <laughs> Indeed. Jack, what do you, what do you, what's uh, your, your quote for this version of the bit? Yeah, so my, my quote this week, I believe it might, it might have been at the same Lincoln Memorial Town Hall sort of like interview that he did. He said in response to, to people around the country wanting rallies, he said, I mean, everybody wants the rallies. I get it all the time, but I don't think we can have a rally with an empty stadium with nobody there. Hmm. This just goes back to that complicated game that we all know that he's playing where he just gets it, you know. He's playing chess and we're playing checkers. Yeah, the rally definitely would not be uh, as effective if there was nobody there. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so glad. I think, if anything else, he's stating the obvious for the people that are a couple moves behind him. He's just right. making sure everybody's caught up to his speed. Exactly. I think you put it you put it eloquently there, Jack. I have nothing else to add. That, folks, concludes part one of our um, second episode of COVID College. Zoom, zoom. Tune in for part two to follow right after. Uh, this is Sean signing off. And this is Jack. We'll see you soon. COVID College is written and produced by Jack Pogolaitis, Sean Monaghan, and Sidney Pogolaitis. The show is edited by Sidney Pogolaitis, and the cover art is made by Grace Martin. The intro music is made by Kevin McLean.